Welcome to this Buckhalter Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Podcast. My name is Dylan Wiseman. I'm a shareholder in the San Francisco and Sacramento offices of Buckhalter. And my practice exclusively trade secrets and employee mobility matters. My name is Alexandra Grainer. I'm also an attorney in the San Francisco office, and I focus on litigation and trade secret and employee mobility matters. Hi, my name is Pete Mack. I'm also in the San Francisco office. I do generally corporate and business litigation. I've been working on trade secret employee mobility matters since probably the last 20 years. All right, well, let's take a bit of time and talk about the different ways that uh, California employers can upgrade their confidentiality agreements. And Pete, um, you've got some pretty strong experience for a number of years dealing with this issue about uh, the importance of employers having separate standalone confidentiality agreements. Can you speak to that for a minute? Sure, yeah, there's really a number of reasons why it's important, and I think it's really important all the way through the process. from when you first hire someone to later when problems may arise. Uh, It helps at the first onboarding meeting, you have a short agreement that you show the employee, he signs it, he or she signs it, makes it very clear to them what their responsibilities are and what uh, the uh, penalties may be if they don't act right. Um, Later, if the, when the employee leaves your employment, it's, good thing to do at the at the uh, separation exit interview. Again, go over it with them. Make sure they know what's involved. Uh, if you do run into problems, it's good in negotiating with the other side. You can send their, them or their attorneys a copy of this agreement and say, here's what your guy signed. Just be aware that we're going to enforce it. And finally, if you do come to litigation, a, a good, simple, straight-ahead agreement goes a long way towards convincing the judge or the jury that uh, you're in the right. Yeah, I think it's really important. We've seen a number of disputes where one party has an employee handbook and they try to say that that amounts as a contract and that they try to pursue a claim for damages arising out of the handbook. And for a lot of reasons, Uh, that's difficult to convince a court that an employee handbook is necessarily a contract that can give rise to a claim for damages. I mean, it might be the case that your employee handbook says it pertains to confidentiality, which is helpful if you're trying to protect a trade secret, but it's really not, courts don't really tend to view these as separate standalone agreements. Do you have a position on that, Alexa? Yeah, so Pete and I actually both worked on a case in which the employee handbook had language to the effect of, this is not an, an employment agreement. And that language was in, in put, inserted into the handbook to preclude an argument that there was an implicit modification of an at-will employment relationship. So the purpose of that language was completely different than the impact it ultimately had in our trade secret case. Because when we were asserting on behalf of our client a breach of contract claim, the court looked at that language and said, no, the the handbook says that this is not an employee agreement. So we were unable to use the handbook as an agreement, as a contract. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's an important distinction to make because all most handbooks do have a provision where they say, this is not a contract. 
and then to try to assert it as this is a contract upon which I can allege damages is a stretch. And we haven't seen courts really buy into that. So you can avoid all of this simply by having a separate standalone agreement. And so it's one of those easy measures that uh, I think most California employers should implement, you know, perhaps in addition to your handbook. As far as the, um, the contract itself, I'm a big believer that the contract should have an attorney's fees provision in it. Have you had the chance to give that some thought? Right. In, in most cases, it's not going to be the employee bringing a claim against the employer for trade secret appropriation or regarding the, the confidential information that is the subject of the agreement. So in almost every circumstance, it's going to be in the employer's interest to have an attorney's fees clause. There are other statutes that exist that under the UCL, for example, in which you might be able to obtain attorney's fees in connection with a trade secret case. But the standard upon which your, your burden of proof is going to be much higher, uh, if you include an attorney's fees clause in your confidentiality agreement, saying that the prevailing party in a dispute arising out of the agreement is entitled to attorney's fees, then that will often act as a strong deter deterrent to the employee. It's essentially telling the employee, listen, if you take our confidential information, then we're we can bring a lawsuit, and not only can we bring a lawsuit against you, you're going to have to pay for our attorney's fees. Yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, I've been doing this for 20-plus years. I've never seen a situation where the employee comes after the employer trying to invoke the, the confidentiality agreement. It just never happens. It's always the employer chasing after the employee because the employee took or used their information. So if that's going to happen... Uh, and I think it's important to have these type of provisions in the confidentiality agreement. I would not want one of these kind of provisions in a standard employment agreement because then you could give rise to something like, you know, you, uh, well, they could sue you for wrongful termination or sexual harassment or discrimination. Uh, but in the separate standalone confidentiality agreement, I think it makes a ton of sense. Pete, you have some impressions on that? Well, yeah, I do. I agree. And especially like Alexa said, it's, it's something that, again, is useful all the way through the process. When you first onboard the employee, they realize that this, if they get sued, you're, they're going to pay your fees. When they leave the company, you reemphasize it to them. If there's a dispute, you send it to the other side and say, guess what? Right. You're going to pay our fees. It's a huge deterrent to all sorts of protracted litigation. So that, that provision by itself will pay dividends almost immediately. Now... Lexa, we've talked a bit already about the importance of defining what is confidential information in the context of a standalone agreement. Uh, why don't you give us your impressions on that? Using the confidentiality agreement as a tool to educate employees about what trade secrets that company owns, what that company considers to be its valuable proprietary information that derives independent economic value you know, that, that can be a tool that can significantly help you prevent a trade secret dispute from the onset. So, you know, we, um, Dylan, we represented uh, one of the engineers in the Waymo v. Uber litigation, and there was very intense uh, debate in that case about what constituted a trade secret because 
the technology at issue was a new technology. It was LiDAR sensors that were helping make car, help, help drive self-driving cars. So in that very advanced technological field, it's often very difficult to distinguish between what skills uh, an engineer is learning in the course of his career, which are rightfully transferable skills, and to the and what is proprietary information that they're creating for their employer during their employment. Yeah, and I think it's really important to do this in your kind of leading edge or bleeding edge uh, businesses where they're so out on the forefront that you know, for for them. Uh, it's really important to be succinct and direct as to what categories of information or to describe the information. The advice I typically give is it's important to update this on a regular basis because what might be confidential uh, now may be pretty well known in the industry you know, a year from now. And that if you've got, uh, if you find yourself really wanting to protect this, sit down and say, all right, if what information it fell into a competitor's hands would be really painful if it got out. And that's what should be in your agreement, not these kind of generic categories like business information, uh, this kind of catch-all type language. You know, courts are, are will enforce that, but are generally kind of hesitant to do that. Pete, have you had a chance to Yeah, well, that? there's just one other point. It's kind of the flip side of what you and Alexa were talking about. It's also important where there is no special specific technology but in a more garden variety situation like a customer list sure because uh salespeople get very close to their customers they think their customer is their customer not the client not the employer's customer and so you want to be careful there to lay it right out what is it that we think is important about the information that you get from your customers that belongs to the company not to you yeah, and in a sales environment, you know, customer list, pricing, uh, customer preferences about their purchasing practices, those type of things that will help a court understand why it is that you're appearing before them on some type of injunction to get emergency relief on a Tuesday when they really don't want to deal with you. So. Especially if you can show the document and say, Your right. Honor, he or she signed this document and we have evidence that that's exactly what they took with them. And I always think it's important to distinguish between different roles within one company. So the trade secrets that an engineer might know are going to be different than within that same company what the salesperson might know. Um, so the confidentiality agreement can reflect those distinctions. They can be distinct for each employee. I think it's a really good point because um, a lot of organizations have a sales side, an operations side, an R&D side. And if you're using the same agreement for every facet of your business, you're really not uh, taking advantage of California's ability to enforce these type of provisions because really it's one of the few protections you have. I mean, we don't allow for covenants not to compete for the most part. And uh, so if employers have a kind of one size fits all, even within their own organization, I think it's the better practice would be to have one that reflects the specific concerns of the different parts of business. It's a great point. Um, one of the other issues that comes up all the time is people leave and they say, well, look, I, I left. I didn't take anything. I just, I, I knew the information of whatever the design formula is or the, or the customer identities. And that's how I'm able to go right after those same customers. Um, I think it's, 
you know, it's been the law in California that the memories of and the the, the knowledge of these particular like customers or or factual information is just as protectable so it's on a thumb drive or um, on documents or on a USB device. Um, so, uh, Pete, what's your impression on how, how important it is to kind of convey in an agreement that also pertains their memories? It's it's real it's very important and it and you do have to be one thing to bear in mind is that California does not uh, use the inevitable disclosure doctrine so just because the, they have it in their head you can't enjoin someone from from using information that they have that's right you do have to still go through and prove that the information that they used even if they took it in their head is in fact a trade secret. Right, to get an injunction, that's right. correct. Yeah, I mean, you can't just charge in and say, well, they know of our information. Therefore, they must have used it. Therefore, they must be. You have to have actual evidence. So that's a really good point. And um, I think that it's it's <coughs> also, and the same part of that is California, we don't recognize this white clean doctrine, which was in place before the Uniform Trade Secrets Act. It used to be, before 1985, that the California's courts come out and say, Employees can't be expected to wipe clean their memories, but you know since the enactment of the UTSA, the Uniform Trade Secrets Act, uh, the California law has said, look, memories are just as protectable. And Lexa, do you have some thoughts on that issue as well? So, to the extent the employer can help the employee distinguish between those two things, and they can use the confidentiality agreement as a tool to facilitate that discussion. Um, I think it would be worthwhile and in their interest. Yeah, I think it's an important point because in every industry they have skills that you develop and there's also information you have access to. And I think that courts are mindful of the fact that you know, we don't follow this white clean doctrine and you are entitled to use, of course, your skills that you develop. But when you start to use or disclose information that's uh, protectable as a trade secret, that's when the courts tend to come. So, and I think that's why having a good agreement is important because yeah. it educates the employee and it also makes it clear to the court exactly what it is that you're uh, going after. And lastly, let's wrap up on for this one on, to talk a bit about uh, the importance of conveying to the employee that the employer owns all the confidential information and trade secret. Now, Pete, you've dealt with this issue quite a bit. Yeah, well, it's basically in the labor code, and so it's out there. But again, it's important to, to make it clear to the employee from the first intake interview, and again, at, at the exit interview, that this is the case, so that they know what the law is. Because, I mean, Employees aren't going to sit down and read the labor code before they take a job. Yeah. <laughs> and sales guys are notorious for saying, these are my customers. I developed them. Well, at the same time, they also got paid a commission and a salary for doing that. And the relationships under California law, where the customers are protected as trade secret, that all is the property of the employer. And so the labor code basically has this blanket protection that Everything that any, an employee acquires by virtue of the employment relationship belongs to the employer, except for the pay stuff. Alexa and I had a case where that came up. It was exactly the situation where the salespeople left. They said, they're my customers. They're my friends. Mm -hmm. If uh, you know, if I know what... what it, uh, they almost felt like they had a duty to 
tell this information to their customers so that, so that they would move to the other employer. Yeah. And it's just wrong. And I think it goes beyond just the sales context. Actually, I think millennials, and I feel comfortable saying this because I'm probably the only millennial in the room. Sure. Um, is we have we have a, a very strong connection to our work product and we have a sense of ownership over it and it's it's hard to grasp the legal concept that everything that we do for our employers does not belong to us yeah i mean you've got a whole generation of folks that are super tech savvy and uh don't really adjust well to this idea that your employer owns everything uh which will keep folks like Pete and you and me uh, busy for the rest of our, our lives. Okay, and with that, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode of the Buckhalter Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Podcast.